Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wellness Wednesday podcast from the Rolf Pancreatic Cancer Foundation. Each of our episodes are recorded from our live events, so if you hear references to slides or visual resources, you could find links to them in the show notes. You can also find the full episodes on our Wellness Wednesday page at rolffoundation.org or watch on Rolf's YouTube channel. We hope that you find today's conversation to be informative, inspiring, and educational. And above all, we hope you feel connected to our community. We are in this fight together. You are not alone. Hello, and welcome back to Wellness Wednesday, where we share practical wellness tools and techniques from experts on the topics that are important to patients, survivors, and caretakers alike. I'm Erin Kuhn Krieger from the Rolf Pancreatic Cancer Foundation, and I'll be co-moderating tonight's session on pain management, nutrition, and exercising with Kim Matthews and our partners over at Cancer Wellness Center. Hi, Kim. Hello. For our friends joining us through Cancer Wellness Center, let me share a little bit about Rolf Foundation. We're a local Chicago organization with connections to some of the leading pancreatic cancer hospitals and organizations in the Midwest and beyond. Our mission is to provide personal support for, to those affected by pancreatic cancer through tailored resources, connections and education, and funding for early detection research. We'll put our link in the chat section for more information. Tonight's session is extra special, not only in content and speakers, but because November is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Rolf is once again partnering with the World Pancreatic Cancer Coalition, which is comprised of groups and foundations from around the world in spreading important information and awareness on pancreatic cancer. We also have so many exciting activities throughout the month, and we'll share that link as well in the chat and hope that you'll join in. Okay, now a couple of housekeeping items before we get started. We'll be sending out the PowerPoint slides so you can stay present, relax, and focus on the speakers. Please ask questions throughout the session uh, within the chat section. And we're gonna be saving those questions until the end to make sure that we're able to get to everybody. Tonight's session will also be recorded and we'll send that out to all the participants after the, after the session's finished. Now I'm thrilled to reintroduce my co-moderator, Kim Matthews from Cancer Wellness Center, who will introduce us to tonight's speakers. Kim, it's all yours. All right, thank you, Erin. And thank you to the Rolf, Cancer, uh, Rolf Pancreatic Cancer Foundation for collaborating with the Cancer Wellness Center to offer this wonderful program this evening. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. For those of you new to the Cancer Wellness Center, I'd like to take just a minute to tell you a little bit more about our work here at the center. The Cancer Wellness Center was started in 1989 by three friends who were determined to build a reliable source of information and support for cancer patients and their family members living with cancer. Over the last 30 years, the center has grown to provide a variety of programs and services that seek to improve the emotional and physical well-being of those affected by a cancer diagnosis. Our services include educational programs like the one this evening, and these aim to help you navigate the varied challenges that come with living with a cancer diagnosis. We have wellness classes like yoga, tai chi, meditation, exercise for cancer, nutrition, nutrition counseling, and many more, and these provide a holistic approach to healthy living. Our support services include counseling, support groups, networking groups, and these are designed to help patients, their loved ones, and those who are bereaved manage the emotional impact of living with a cancer diagnosis. If you would like to learn more about the center and our services, which are all free of charge, you can visit our website at www.cancerwellness.org, and that link will be listed in the chat. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Leslie Mendoza-Temple. Dr. Mendoza-Temple serves as medical director 
of the Integrative Medicine Program at North Shore University Health System. She is a board certified family practitioner who cares for adults, children, pregnant mothers and infants with a wide variety of conditions and preventive health needs. Dr. Mendoza Temple combines conventional Western medicine with safe evidence-based complementary medicine therapies to improve the health of her patients. She leads a large team of talented, dedicated practitioners who work together to integrate some of the best world's medicine. So, Dr. Mendoza Temple, if you can turn on your screen, welcome so much. We'll let you get started. Hi. Thank you so much. I'm going to uh, share my screen here, and it's going to have a, a slide deck that will be shared, as mentioned. I tend to have a lot of slides, so this will be a death by PowerPoint kind of talk but there's so much to cover. Uh, this is um, a talk that could cover other types of conditions, but with specifics to pancreatic cancer, I'll add my pearls. I'm uh, just to, uh, here we go. Let me go to the slide presentation. I don't have any disclosures to make, no relationships with any um, herbage supplement companies um, or anything of that nature. So uh, that helps me be free to talk about what I want to talk about. Um, so primarily gonna focus on managing pain I'm gonna focus on medical cannabis, but I will also talk about, of course, briefly about the integrative therapies that we've been doing for the past 21 years at North Shore Integrative Medicine. Um, I'm also gonna talk about a very relevant topic regarding immune function in the COVID flu and cold era, because we know folks, it's getting pretty bad out there. So uh, hopefully this will be helpful for everyone watching. And this is like literally the fastest like bullet point. This is. I'm gonna spend most time, most of the time on medical cannabis just because we, I get so many questions about it, but I can't say enough about using acupuncture, massage therapy, yoga and movement therapies, which we're gonna hear more about, talk therapy, my, mindfulness and meditation and other ways to help decompress the brain's input, the, the psychological input that pain can, uh, that can magnify pain, as well as physical therapy, occupational therapy, chiropractic care, We'll also hear about a healthy diet later from Lori um, and just go through the, a very well-rounded approach to pain management of which with acupuncture, massage, yoga, and talk therapy, we have practitioners to help with that approach. Um, and I'll give you information about the program. We are in Glenview and we thank the Rolf Found I thank the Rolf Foundation for providing some uh, scholarship funding to provide free acupuncture and massage therapy for patients who are qualified under uh, financial means. Um, so that is something that we do on a case-by-case -case basis. But thank you all foundation for helping create access to care where insurance doesn't cover. So I'm going to focus now here on cannabis and we all have a, most people have a visceral response to this. Um, you know, either it's, is it bad? Is it all good? Is it somewhere in between? And I've learned that it is kind of in the somewhere in between uh, a pro, uh, philosophy for me, primarily good when used properly, but it can have its downsides for sure. It definitely can be abused uh, as a kind of a recreational and potentially addictive substance. So we can't just say cannabis is free of any problems, yet at the same time, we can't vilify it as the evil weed. So we've got to meet somewhere in the middle. Cannabis is what it is, and it's been used as a medicine, medicinal um, therapeutic agent, as well as a, an agent for religious purposes early on, millennia ago, and then we have had our recent um, 
cultural stigma attached to it that it's just for the bad kids and the, the naughty people. But you know, honestly, I'm using it as a medicine for my patients. I'm gonna go through how that's done. And why does it work? It's because we have our own homemade endocannabinoid system that creates these uh, or helps promote the functions we need to live and have a quality of life with regard to relaxation, eating and appetite, our ability to sleep, relax, stay uh, well rested through the night, to protect ourselves from disease, which is an interesting part about cannabis and its immune properties. We are gonna continue to see more research coming out about its potential role in fighting cancer itself. And also to forget, excuse me, to forget pain. And so this is probably with respect to relax, eat, sleep and forget. That's where we have um, more evidence that it helps with those syndrome, with, with those needs. And then we will see more about protecting ourselves from disease as time goes by. So you can see here in this busy slide that we have two sources of cannabinoids. One is the external world with the plant and uh, the medicine doesn't actually come from the leaf. It comes from the small sugar leaves, the, the buds, the little tiny globs of, of goo that grow on a female plant. And then we make our own cannabinoids. We make stuff that looks like THC and CBD on our own so that we can eat, sleep, protect ourselves from pain and, uh, and forget pain and relax. So all of these things are moment to moment needs that our body, our nervous system just knows what we need. And so you get a little blush of your appetite uh, promoting cannabinoids. So it's time to eat. Oh, it's time to sleep. You get a different set of cannabinoids. But we know that when we take an external source of cannabinoids, that can also influence those functions. And it's very different for everyone. So one of the difficulties I have with, with recommending cannabis to patients is there isn't a one size fits all approach at all. But I'll give you some guidelines because now in Illinois, you can get cannabis, just walk in if you're over 21, show your ID, you can buy whatever you want from a dispensary. Um, but the difference between a medical patient and a recreational adult patient uh, person is the price. So the taxes are now what differentiates medical and, and adult users because all of the cannabis is made by the same um, cultivators. And so for patients who, uh, this is expensive stuff. So also getting properly uh, observed with your medical card, I think that it's always better to defer to having the card and do everything on the up and up, but you know, we can do this now um, just being over 21. But keep in mind that 25% sales tax turns a $65 tincture into an $88 tincture, and that will add up. So your prime cannabinoids you should really know if you come away with anything is knowing the difference between THC, which is a psychoactive part of the cannabis. It makes people feel stoned or high. It's also responsible for the appetite, uh, appetite stimulation, the munchies, and uh, it really is responsible for the, the problems we have with impairment, trouble with uh, drugged driving, with addiction, which is about a 9% rate. So it's not free of addiction, addictive properties. And there are some people who have really bad issues with cannabis. So we have to pay attention to that like we would with any other medicine. And THC works primarily on the CB1 receptors, which are primarily in the brain also throughout the body, but that's when, when you think THC, think uh, this is the stuff that gets you high. 
The other component we know more and more about is CBD. And when you hear the word CBD and hemp, and I got CBD at the gas station, I got CBD at the jewelry store or the vitamin shop, they are referring to hemp because you can only buy hemp products, which is a form of cannabis from an over-the-counter source because it doesn't have enough THC to cause a psychoactive effect. But CBD is just one chemical in a soup of chemicals that is known as cannabis. And what it does is it can help bring down the psychoactive act, uh, activity of THC. Uh, it may have some anti-nausea, neurologic protecting and anti-inflammatory properties. So I think when you take a plant and you've got a lot of different nutrients in there and chemicals, they're gonna work synergistically, but also very differently in, in individuals. Plus between plants, you're gonna have variety between them. So knowing the CBD and THC ratios, is, that's gonna be important when a person is selecting their cannabis product from a dispensary. The other thing that's getting a lot more attention are the terpenes, which are the essential oils, the, the other components of cannabis that make it smell like pine or make the cannabis smell like uh, citrus or lemon. And so within these compounds, for instance, with pinene, which comes from pine trees, it may help with memory. So this is something where, okay, you hear about cannabis and someone who's got Alzheimer's and maybe it helps them calm down from the sundowning they get around 6 p.m., but maybe they feel a little more alert. That's not CBD or THC most likely. It's probably the pinene that's in there. And we're not always seeing the cannabis dispensaries putting the contents of terpenes in their profiles when, they, when you look at the fine print on your cannabis labels. And limonene, which is from citrus, uh, may be helpful for lifting mood. So I like using essential oils and aromatherapy when I feel like I'm tired, I'm a little bit, just a little bit uh, blued out by all the gray skies. I might take a little smell of an essential oil of lemon and it just seems to kind of perk me up. So that's, that's another way to use essential oils, but in cannabis, this is also part of that soup of chemicals we see. Sativa versus indica. So there's essentially two kinds. Was there, there's really three kinds, but the main ones are the two kinds, cannabis sativa and cannabis indica. They, are, they may have different effects on the body, whereas a sativa is known more to affect the mind. It's a tall and skinny plant. So I think of it as growing more towards your head. So you have more of that uh, psychoactivity, maybe helps with lifting the mood for those who are depressed. Some people use it more of a, on a recreational basis to promote creativity, the laughing, the giggles. We traditionally think about sativas with that. And then we think of indicas as, as the in-de-bed or in-de-couch. That's how you remember that indica is better for nighttime or when there's pain, because it's supposed to help with that body sensation. Not so much maybe the brain sensation, but more of a uh, melting. So people who take indica, which is a shorter, bush when it's growing in nature, when it's a fatter leaf. So that's how you can visually determine the differences. And then there are hybrids where you can get a little bit of sativa and indica together in a hybrid. And in the end, the purists don't think these, these differentiations matter anymore because things have been so crossbred and hybridized that they are losing these characteristics as we keep making more and more of this. What it may matter, and I still go by this. So indica for bedtime, sativa for daytime, never drive on any of them because they have THC. Don't drive for many hours uh, or drive uh, first, get your errands done in the daytime and then take your cannabis when you're home and you're not doing any more errands. Um, but 
I think what's most important when you look at cannabis is the THC, CBD, and if you can see a terpene profile, that'll probably determine how this is gonna affect the person. So when you read a cannabis label, you can see here THC to CBD ratio. This is 11 to one. This is called the Blue Dream. It's just the name of the, the, the variety that was grown. It's a hybrid, doesn't tell you all that much because it doesn't say hybrid indica predominant or sativa. So I would say labeling still has a lot to, leaves a lot to be desired, but at least I know this is not something you would give a true beginner because the THC is quite high compared to the small amount of CBD. So this is someone who, this is like a THC predominant strain. Um, here's another label. You could see vast differences between them. Uh, I like this label because they tell you also about yeast and mold counts. They talk about um, the THC CBD ratios here. You kind of have to eyeball that though. Uh, but you can see here, you got 18.57% THC and 0.35% CBD. So this is another THC predominant, not for beginners. <laughs> um, and you can also see here the different terpenes. So beta caryophylline is high in this, myrcene. It's got a whole bunch of different things in here. But even then, I'm still not quite sure how to, how to interpret how this is gonna treat my patient, but at least I can get a little bit of a better idea what's in this. So that's a little cannabis label reading 101. And there are different forms where you can inhale it through smoking or vaping. Uh, some people will put the raw leaves in tea if you're growing your own. Tinctures are probably my favorite just because they don't have the sugar and all the other stuff you don't want. But edibles are very convenient. Edibles are, can be very confusing too because how much do you eat that whole brownie? Do you eat half of it or just a crumb? It really is so un, uh, unsure how people dose it. So I'll give you some dosing guidelines. Uh, here's an example of uh, some patients who are vaping. They take uh, the smoke. It's, it's really not smoke. It's the vapor of boiled cannabis, that temperature. The steam is created. You inhale the steam and that is where the active drug is. But in this era of COVID and vaping related injuries and the cold and flu season coming on, I don't recommend this. However, I have patients who say, this is the only method that works for my pain. Edibles don't work. I've tried topical. I tried everything you did. You told me, and this is what works. Then if that's what works, that's what works. Just be wary that if you can cut down on the lung strain, then it would be better, but I understand that this is sometimes a, the best method for many patients. Also when smoking flour, like in this bottom line uh, here, where she, this woman is smoking a cigarette, uh, flour is the cheapest way to get cannabis. So for those on a budget, having the flour is maybe more affordable and the only option. And I have a lot of patients on disability who can't afford all the fancier stuff. Okay. So here's my little spiel, and I'm part of a group called Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, and we created this statement just saying, you know, let's try not to do <laughs> the vaping and smoking, especially when joints are shared and you're passing stuff around. That's a very good way to come and get COVID-19 or the flu. Okay, so next is to looking at edibles. So when I look at edibles, you could see a wide variety of brownies and chocolates. I count the oils kind of as an edible because you also swallow it. But let's say you've got this piece of chocolate and it looks like a Ghirardelli square of chocolate. And on this here, it says 10 milligrams of THC, which means that the entire piece has 10 milligrams, which is a pretty um, moderately high dose 
for patients, especially beginners. So you wanna cut that piece of chocolate into eight little pieces so that you're not overdoing it in the beginning. And when you take that little piece, uh, the eighth of a piece, you're gonna not feel anything probably for one or two hours. And if you have a slow digestive tract, it may take longer. Some people feel it in 30 minutes, but cannabis edibles take a long time to kick in. And when they do kick in, they last long too, which is nice from a sleeping point of view. So I like edibles at night because I'd like you to sleep six to eight hours throughout the night. But if you took an edible in the daytime and you didn't like it, you're stuck with that feeling for six to eight hours. So hopefully you hit the jackpot and pick the right one. But I would say of the 530 patients I have certified in my practice, they tell me that sleep is the number one thing that cannabis helps them with. Number two is it helps manage the pain by reducing the anxiety and the tension surrounding it. And number three, they tell me the appetite seems to reduce nausea and reduce anxiety. So that's uh, my clinical experience. Then we've got these oils that you put uh, maybe a milliliter of oil under the tongue, let it sit for 30 to 60 seconds. And then the cannabis, you'll feel it in 15 to 30 minutes. So that's another way that I actually prefer because there's a faster onset of action and it's a little more controlled because you can measure how much you're taking in the droppers. RSO concentrates, this is something that's um, very concentrated, really, really concentrated cannabis. Like if you see this little drop hanging off the end, that's all you wanna stick a toothpick in that, pull out some residue and then stick that toothpick under your tongue or rub it under the gum. You wanna go very small when first starting like the dot of an eye, and then work your way up to the grain of rice sized piece that the dispensary agents will tell you. I think a grain of rice is probably too high to start for a beginner. So you start with just little bitty amounts. The flavor probably is what uh, keeps people away from it. Um, but I've heard people take a, like a mint, put a Tic Tac underneath the tongue with it. Um, this is an area where there may be some anti-cancer properties because this is very concentrated but the amount that's recommended for fighting cancer itself is somewhere along the one milliliter a day, which is a ton more than you would use for controlling symptoms. And we need more research in humans to determine whether these are valid protocols. But I know that there are these, uh, these protocols with respect to cannabis curing cancer, which I think is a very big leap. Until we've done some human research, I'm not ready to say anything about that, except maybe you get some benefit, but What's your dose? We don't know. So anyway, if it's helping you with symptoms, maybe it's also helping fight cancer as well. So that's why I, I like kind of the double edge of cannabis. It's a good, good double edge. Topicals are a great way to help manage pain. And for people who are really sensitive to stuff and they, they feel everything. So it's a nice light way to get cannabis into your system. It does get absorbed in the bloodstream and you can test positive on employee screening. So just be wary of that. Um, but patches are probably the most expensive way to get cannabis. So a patch can be anywhere from 10 to $20 each. So if you're doing one patch a day, 10 bucks right there. So be mindful of that. Some people cut them in half. You put them on the wrist. So the, the thin skinned area has the best absorption of the medicine. So, or behind the knee, but if it gets sweaty back there, I think this is probably a better place to put it. And then the creams are nice. So wherever it hurts, you put it right on the neck or if your knee is sore, you put that on there as well. And then another area that's interesting to put it are for people with chronic pelvic pain or rectal pain or low back pain, you could consider doing a suppository, especially if 
the edible method doesn't work or you don't like the oils or they don't work. Uh, there are cannabis infused uh, suppositories that are inserted by you in one of these orifices and it may be helpful. Okay, and don't forget that we have pharmaceuticals. These are things you can get prescribed by a physician, uh, particularly dronabinol, which has been around a long time. It's indicated by uh, FDA indicated for wasting uh, and cachexia from HIV AIDS or for those undergoing chemo and having can uh, nausea and vomiting. And then there's some others too that are approved for pediatric seizure disorder. And there's a, uh, that's a pediolex. Nabiximols is for um, MS, multiple sclerosis. And then nabilone is for uh, chemotherapy induced nausea only. But just in case someone ended up in the hospital and they were using cannabis pretty consistently for their pain relief, or their sleep, they, you can't bring cannabis into the hospital because it's still federally illegal and the hospital won't let you. You don't wanna sneak it either. And you definitely don't wanna smoke it with all those oxygen tanks going around and everyone will know. So one way to deal with that is to ask your prescribing hospital staff to prescribe dronabinol, which is synthetic THC. Uh, and so maybe you could get a little bridge on the cannabis and then when you get to go home, then you can go back to your regular cannabis. So there is a way to bridge a patient with ca on cannabis treatments who kind of uh, imprisoned over at the hospital. Okay, so there's also something that has been coming to light with more recreational users is this paradoxical nausea and vomiting that happens when people use cannabis. It's called cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. And we see more of this happening in the emergency rooms. People who just get sick and they get this, big workup and there, you know, we don't know what it is. You always ask, have you been using any substances of the ER patient? And if the, one of the clues is if you feel better after a hot shower and if you've used cannabis, these are then, then that's probably cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. And the treatment for that is to stop using it. Uh, but there are some treatments here like taking the hot shower or putting some hot pepper cream on the abdomen to reduce the, um, the nausea and the vomiting. But really in the end, it's just, it's just not for everyone. So just be aware of this interesting um, syndrome. And we would, the dopamine agonist would be something that physicians might prescribe. So there are some interesting remedies. If you took cannabis for whatever reason and you just had a bad trip, you could take some citrus. So remember those terpenes I talked about with the lime and the pine and other uh, essential oil um, aromatic properties that these may actually counteract what you took in the cannabis. So if you're feeling dizzy or you're not feeling right, you could drink some orange juice or suck on a lemon or lime. You could eat some pine nuts or pistachios for the pining or chew on some black peppercorns. Uh, I don't know really where to get calamus plant roots, but that's one of those like really, really old remedies. And then there's some supplements out there on the market like choline, it's a vitamin, and there's a capsule called Undo, but they're like $10 a pill. But these are over-the-counter ways to help uh, get over a bad cannabis trip. But the biggest treatment is time. Just give it time. It's not going to be forever. Just uh, try to get into a good headspace and know it will, it will relent um, over time as the cannabis wears off. And that's interesting. I think that uh, when you have a uh, substances that's been around for thousands of years, humans are going to hack a, uh, a counterbalance to that. So uh, funny stories, I was at Ravinia when we had Ravinia 
last year. And there was a young woman in the first aid station who OD'd on an edible because apparently that's happening a lot, especially at concerts. And she was feeling really nauseous. And I wasn't the doctor on call, but I told the nursing staff, you guys should just carry a big jar of peppercorns and that's it. So if you start seeing that at Ravinia and concert sites, then, you know, you can thank me. I'm just kidding. But that this has been, a, this has been known for a long time in the um, cannabis using world. Okay, well, so I talked about hemp and the difference, basically hemp is, it's the same plant, but it's, it's grown for its fibers to make rope and clothing and to grow hemp seeds. So we can put it in our smoothies. We can press out the oil. We can extract the CBD, very valuable plant. And now the farm bill has allowed farmers to grow in the US hemp instead of it being so restricted, which also allows companies to sell CBD with less than 0.3% THC at any, you know, any retail outlet. That's why you've seen an explosion of CBD products and we just don't know what, what the best ones are. I do have in my uh, armamentarium, my favorite brands, where I'm not gonna sit and push those here, but um, it's, let's just say there's, there's lots and lots of brands out there. So what are some of the caveats? We know it's expensive, but so is cannabis. There's a lot of claims out there. Some of the companies are getting in trouble for saying we heal neuropathy or we, we cure a disease. And that's when the FDA steps in and says you are now, you have a label infraction and they'll take, you, take your privileges away. But I have found it may be helpful for relaxation and sleep. And it's nice for people who are, they wanna try cannabinoid, but they're worried about, uh, they don't wanna have the THC effect. So they don't lose their, their control. Um, so CBD can be helpful, but it can have some side effects too. Like if it's too sedating or it makes you feel a little funny, uh, I don't get a lot of complaints about CBD, but it can happen. So the other thing to know too, is if someone is on CBD and you're gonna get drug tested at work, you could still show up positive. So that's, don't use anything for a month. If you think you're applying for a new job and you're worried about getting drug tested, you just don't wanna have any of that pop up. Uh, so here's my spiel about hospitalized patients. Uh, Dronabinol comes in 2.55 or 10 milligram pills. Um, some people will, before cannabis was really available and we were waiting for the program to start, I would ask patients to take CBD from hemp to balance the THC and I would prescribe dronabinol and hemp oil together as sort of like this pseudo cannabis combination. And this is something that maybe if you were traveling abroad, if we can do that one day, you could take a dronabinol prescription with you on the airplane and fly anywhere. Whereas you can't take cannabis with you, you will maybe end up in jail. That would not be good. So it's just funny to see how our uh, medical establishment used to sell cannabis. This is Eli Lilly uh, before it became illegal and you could get cannabis um, as a tincture. I love this infant's relief that uh, <laughs> for babies of all things with a little bit of uh, nitrite, uh, spirit, sweet spirits of nitra and chloroform, nothing like some chloroform to help your baby calm down. No, thank you. Okay, so immune optimization. I know we started at 610, so I have a few more minutes to just talk about something that I think can affect, hopefully help a lot of you. Um, and I wanna point to this resource. This is where I derived a lot of my talk from. This is the University of Arizona's Integrative Medicine Program. And they came out with an evidence-based article on what could 
theoretically be helpful in fighting COVID. Ever since then, things have been updated, but uh, if you want to see this full text article, it, it is really good. And it talks about lifestyle in it, like eating a plant-based diet, getting seven hours of sleep or more, um, taking certain supplements that might help promote your immune function, which ones maybe you shouldn't take uh, at certain times. But what we don't have is anyone doing some real hardcore research on, okay, does this work in COVID? So I'm gonna give you the evolution of one of the fastest evolving pieces of literature is what vitamins do you take in COVID-19? And I reserve the right to change my mind because things may change later on. So this article, this is, this is available for free download. And since you have the slides, I do have here the link, but all you have to do is Google University of Arizona Integrative Medicine COVID and you'll see this page. You click on Integrative Strategies, you click on the article and then you can read the entire thing. Uh, and this was written by uh, my colleagues at University of Arizona and my mentor, Andrew Weil and Victoria Mazies in particular. There's another uh, more, um, more innovative cutting edge article that's also free on herbs and COVID, less evidence-based, but it's got more options if you're really into the learning about vitamins about herbs, this has some more in it. And this is from the Institute for Functional Medicine. Again, though, no one has done enough research on actual COVID patients to see is what they're saying, is what they're saying really holding water. So just yesterday, I was looking at what is the CDC changing and or, or what are they saying now? And just as of like last week, vitamin C, they were recommending, at first we were like saying, yeah, do it. It's, it's really good. It might help. And then in the, um, usually this is what we see in conventional medicine. You'll see things like there are insufficient data for COVID-19 treatment guidelines panel to recommend for or against the use of vitamin C in people who are not ill, uh, who have COVID-19. So it's like, okay, what about prevention? So in the end, when they look at the research, these are people who are very conservative about what they're gonna say. They're saying that we don't have enough research to say yay or nay. But from my experience, it's a very, um, low risk thing to try as long as you're not overdoing 2000 milligrams a day. Anything higher than that can upset the stomach because it is an acid. So some people get tummy aches from vitamin C and anything higher than that, you you know, you got to be careful of kidneys. Uh, if you have a history of kidney stones, you want, don't want to overdo vitamin C. You want to hydrate well, but you probably could take some, but get it from food. And Dr. Uh, Lori Bombaco will talk about that. With vitamin D, I heard a lot about, yeah, everyone should be on it. And I got on that bandwagon. I really think we need it anyway for multiple reasons, especially when it comes to cancer. We live in Chicago, for those of you here. Um, we are pretty far north on the planet and our sunshine uh, quota is not that high. So vitamin D is a nice way to get what you need without damaging the skin or promoting other like skin cancers and whatnot. Uh, and then you look at the CDC or the NIH. What do, you, what do they think? Oh, insufficient use for or against, that's not helpful, but I would say you need to talk to your physician about it. Most likely, uh, most people who live in this area are gonna need some vitamin D, but it is possible to overdose on it, especially when you take vitamin D drops and the people who squeeze a jet of that in their mouths every day, they come in with toxic vitamin D levels, which is not good for your kidneys. So this needs to be monitored. Zinc supplementation, I was also real excited about that one. And then, oh, look at this, they're actually recommending against zinc 
above the recommended dietary allowance, except if you're doing a clinical trial and that there's insufficient data. And the reason that they, they, there's more rationale in this, but if you use zinc for too long, you could promote a copper imbalance. So zinc and copper go together, too much zinc might deplete your copper. So I, I think though you could still use it reasonably at like a 15 to 30 milligram dose. Um, but not forever and ever. The thing is, is it feels like COVID is going on for a long time. So you could take zinc on and off, uh, maybe with a multivitamin. So you get the copper in there, but um, zinc has, its, it has antiviral properties. The thing to know about zinc though, is it can upset the stomach. And this is one that actually gives me a little bit of a queeze. So I can't even do zinc every single day. So just be wary of that. When, when COVID first hit the wellness shop at my office, they blew out of zinc. You couldn't find zinc. So there's a lot of like toilet paper. I thought zinc was the toilet paper of vitamins for a while. Okay, so my current opinion is talk to your doctor because we don't know what, can you take zinc? What's your, what, how much vitamin D should you take? Most likely you can do vitamin C, at least like a thousand milligrams a day. And what about all the other supplements? But overall the risk seems low with a potential benefit, but there is no substitute for wearing a mask, a physical distance, not social. I hate social distancing. Let's be physically distant and be very social but uh, frequent hand washing. Um, I have a list here of these supplements are mentioned in that article, like andrographis, astragalus. Things to know about melatonin though, is that if you take it, you could get nightmares. Some people use it for sleep, but some people get a hangover afterwards. You'll know because <laughs> you can blame melatonin for that, but it doesn't always happen. Uh, but it may help promote immune function. Got mushroom extracts like maitake and shiitake, reishi, turkey tail, Quercetin, which comes from apples and onions and has an anti-inflammatory effect, good for allergies. I talked about vitamin C and D and zinc already. And I'm not gonna go over dosing because it's just not appropriate to do it in this form, but if you wanna read more about it, it is in that article. And they may help for prevention and treatment if one is sick, whether we have more data from influenza and cold. And so we're kind of extrapolating that if it works for influenza and cold, maybe it works for COVID. Um, so wear a mask like your life depends on it. I would swear by it. My husband's the medical director of North Shore's immediate care program. So he sees COVID patients almost every day. So in my house is a new day to get COVID. So I just pray he's on all this stuff. I have to hand it to him, though, but he'll take it. And then, but the key is to protect yourself and also don't do this. Don't go nose commando. I see this all the time and I just want to go like up, but then it looks like you're you're being an, you're giving a rude gesture, but some people just just so sensitive. <laughs> but this is where you're going to catch it, so you got to cover your nose. Um, supportive care, uh, Tylenol is okay to take. I've asked about ibuprofen initially. Italian studies said don't take it; it might make the COVID worse. That was later debunked. So don't worry about taking ibuprofen if you're having muscle aches and pains. Do you remember when Tylenol? was flying off the shelves too, couldn't, and all the ibuprofen was left behind. Um, and lifestyle is very important here. Give your immune system a chance to recover. This is a supplement guide, subscription only, it's about $40 a year. And then here's one for healthcare professionals, which is like almost $200 a year, but this is where I go to for my non-biased information as well as PubMed. This is where you can get them. And again, I have no disclosure. This just helps the North Shore Integrative Medicine Program, but no individual, and we have no incentives to sell. But if you wanna find stuff that's good through curbside service, support local business, go to the small shops, 
Um, there are other places I like, uh, Highland Health, uh, Walsh Natural Products, um, JD Mills in Evanston, depending on where you're at. So if you can't find it, then go to Amazon, but why help them? They've got plenty. Okay, so databases, these are uh, particularly for those who wanna look up supplements. And Memorial Sloan Kettering actually has chemotherapy interactions, although I don't find it the most up-to-date. So if, I, if you really wanna see does turmeric interfere with tamoxifen, you gotta go to PubMed and look because their information's outdated. So these are the services we provide at North Shore Integrative Medicine and I'm out of time. So I'm just gonna leave it right there um, where we have a team that's been around 21 years and this is them. So I thank you very much. And I also wanted to pay tribute to this man. Um, so, you know, what, what, uh, what a great example um, of someone who can thrive and do what he needs to do. He's very, he was so transparent with what he was going through. And I hope that everyone here, if you have a loved one that you are. Um... Sorry, a little slow to unmute there. So thank you, Barbara, great information. And we've got some good questions for you at the end, particularly how to get motivated for all those fabulous things. Welcome to Lori Bumbaco. Lori joined the Cancer Wellness Center team in 2015 and is a board certified specialist in oncology nutrition. In addition to offering individual nutrition counseling at the Cancer Wellness Center, Lori co-facilitates our weight loss for wellness and mindful kitchen programs. She also works part-time at Kellogg Cancer Center and is a professional speaker for Lilly Oncology and co-founder of, of Cancer Nutrition Care Team. Lori's areas of interest include empowering survivors with reputable information, building confidence in the kitchen and exploring how food is more than just nutrition. Thank you, Lori. Thank you so much, Kim, for that introduction and good evening, everyone. I am so excited to be part of this panel and to be able to present uh, to everyone tonight. So thank you for participating. Uh, I would I'd say, I think you agree, wow, what great presentations we had so far, such great information that was shared. And I'd like to wrap uh, tonight's program with an equally informative and engaging presentation. So I have a PowerPoint to share. And I also created a document to also sort of elaborate on some of the concepts that I'm going to presenting tonight. So if you did not receive that document, just drop a note in the chat box and we'll make sure we get that to you. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to share my screen and uh, share my PowerPoint presentation. Okay, so on the agenda this evening, I'd like to review what I consider the nutrition essentials for a cancer protective toolbox. Suggest some simple steps to maximize the nutrition in your diet. Answer common questions. Highlight how to stock your kitchen and also plan nourishing meals. And then provide some valuable resources along the way. So this is the most common question that I get from people that I need. Tell me, what should I eat? What should I not eat? And what a great question. But in the search for that answer, so many people feel overwhelmed because let's face it, nutrition advice is, well, quite frankly, it's everywhere, right? And this nutrition advice tends to be generalized, hyperbolic, and also can produce some anxiety for some. So I'm here to help set the record straight. I want you to know that nutrition advice is often cookie cutter. 
but you are unique and you deserve a more personalized approach to nutrition care planning. Also, if you come across information that sounds too good to be true, chances are it is too good to be true. And what I don't want for you is to feel stressed out or worried or even afraid about some of the foods that you eat, right? Think about the stress and the anxiety. That's probably more detrimental for your health than any food could ever possibly be. Now, if you feel like you still need some reassurance and some guidance to navigate all this information, the solution is to consult with an oncology dietitian because he or she can curate a specific plan that works best for you. So why food? I, I'd like to share, and Kim mentioned this in the introduction, that my thought about food is that it's more than just nutrition. Food elevates personal relationships. Think about it. Like food is this vehicle that invites us all into the kitchen. It invites us all to gather around the table. And because of food, we connect with one another more. Food is also an act of self-care. So think of self-care being the things that we need to do to live a healthy and peaceful life. So when we invest time and energy into planning nourishing meals, this is an opportunity to perform self-care. And last but not least, food is one of life's greatest pleasures, right? And I think if we focus too much on the nutrition in food, then we forget the fact that food is delicious and we wanna honor that. So I would encourage you to embrace each of these components as you think about food and nutrition, because when we do that, when we integrate each of these components, then we truly harness the nourishing potential that food can provide us. So experts want you to know that no single food or food component by itself can protect you against cancer. But research is showing that a plant-based diet may help lower the risk for many different types of cancers, as well as recurrence, secondary cancers, and even all-cause mortality. So who are these so-called experts? They are the American Institute for Cancer Research, and they summarize their recommendations for cancer protection with this graphic. And I've provided this in your handout for you to um, look further at. So if you look at the uh, last recommendation on the bottom right corner, you see that following the diagnosis of a cancer, individuals are advised to follow as many of these behaviors as possible. Because think of this as like a checklist. The more you can accomplish these things regularly, the more cancer protective your lifestyle will be. So why is nutrition so important? What we understand is that a healthy balanced diet can provide us with all the essential vital nutrients that we require in order to build strength, maintain energy levels, repair our body, manage some of our side effects from treatment, minimize the risk of infection and support immune function, and last but not least, promote a feeling of well-being. Now that word diet is in quotes for good reason. Um, a lot of people that I meet understand diet to be like a temporary thing, that they're on this plan, that they're on or they're off. It often implies restriction. But did you know that that word diet comes from a Greek word? I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but it's dieta. Um, and what it stands for is a way of life. So I think we want to honor the true origin of that word diet as we approach the foods that we eat every day. So how might we do this? How might we honor 
a way of living. I think a good way to describe this is using nourishing plates. And so I have these images here, and this is from Kaiser Permanente, uh, but they give us this great template you see in the upper left corner there. And so if we take our plate and every time we're planning a meal or we're going or, or ordering in from a restaurant, if we can design our plate to look like this, then we're nourishing our bodies, right? So if half of the plate contains non-starchy vegetables, so you see some examples there on the slide, this is really this setting us up for a nourishing plate. And then the remaining half of that plate can be divided in half again. So a quarter of the entire plate should be dedicated to our quality whole grains or our starchy vegetables, things like yams or quinoa. And then the remaining quarter of the entire plate is for our quality proteins. And I want you to keep in mind that protein comes from both animal as well as plant sources. So you see, for example, on the slides, protein can come from, or for the images, protein can come from fish, from chicken, but also plant sources like black eyed peas or black beans. So what's all the fuss about a plant-based diet? Well, did you know that there is currently no standard consensus for how to define a plant-based diet? So depending on who you ask, you're gonna get a different answer. Now, I would like to share for the sake of tonight's presentation and in full transparency, the way that I define a plant-based diet is that it's a diet that is based on plant foods. So just like those nourishing plates we're depicting, most meals contain vibrantly colored fruits and vegetables, high fiber quality whole grains, anti-inflammatory fats, and then plant proteins as well as small amounts of animal proteins. So what's all the obsession about plant foods? Well, in a word, it is phytochemicals. So phytochemicals are unique compounds that are found only in plant foods, and they help protect us from cancer in more ways than one. So it's really quite impressive how these phytochemicals have demonstrated cancer protection. Are you ready? I'm going to give you the list right now. It's impressive. Get ready. Bam. <laughs> so all of these, re these are all the reasons that we know of right now for how phytochemicals help in, in protecting us from cancer. They stimulate the immune system. They block the substances that we eat, drink, or breathe from becoming carcinogens. They're anti-inflammatory. They repair DNA that's been damaged and also prevent DNA damage. They act like antioxidants. They stop the growth rate of cancer cells. They also trigger damaged cells to commit suicide. We call that apoptosis. And they also help to regulate hormones. So it's kind of like a no-brainer. I think we want to invite more plant foods into our way of living, right? I like to call phytochemicals cancer's worst enemies. Um, and you see that there's over 10,000 phytochemicals that are currently classified and they're in plant foods, like examples that you see on the slide there. And it's kind of like my job to make sure we get more of these foods into your diet regularly. So here's a blueprint for healthy eating. I would, I would consider this kind of like a checklist. We want you to eat balanced meals that are, will support your overall health. So think of a nourishing plate. That nourishing plate contains minimally processed plant-based food choices, relying on whole food sources first for nutrition and then supplements second and then placing some limits on added sugar, alcohol, as well as sedentary time. 
So let's dig deeper into the plant-based diet. And I have to start first with fruits and vegetables, right? So which ones should we be eating and why? Well, I would argue all of them, all of them are great choices. So whether it be fresh greens or frozen berries or even a box of pumpkin puree, they are all great choices because they are the epitome of nutrient density. So what that means is that they contain a whopping amount of nutrition for a relatively small amount of calories. So this is cancer protective in more ways than one. Now, vibrantly colored choices are one indication of the phytochemical content. So just keep that in mind. And this is why you hear dietitians suggest that you eat the rainbow. Now, how do we incorporate more fruits and vegetables into the diet? I like to recommend kind of substitutions or swap outs. And if you currently enjoy dessert or a sugary dessert, could you learn to savor the natural sweetness of a local seasonal fruit instead? Another great example is to swap out our highly processed snack foods. So things like chips um, that really are not very nourishing. They're not nutrient dense, but instead some raw vegetables, which would be a great substitution to give you more of this nutrient density. I also think infusing vegetables into meals is another easy way to add more vegetables to the diet. And on your handout, I gave you some great examples. Next, let's talk about carbohydrates. So which ones do the experts recommend that we eat and why? They wanna seed whole grains and products made from them that are minimally processed. And they're very similar to fruits and vegetables. They are nutrient dense. They also contain a good amount of fiber as well as phytochemicals. How do we incorporate more whole grains into the diet? I like the idea again of substitution. So if you are enjoying a refined grain like white rice, could you swap that out for an ancient grain like farro, which is a more hearty, dense version of white rice that contains more B vitamins and protein as well as zinc and magnesium and vitamin E. It becomes a no brainer. Another example is to try something new. So maybe you're comfortable with the popular quinoa. Could you try to add some diversity to your diet, but with a similar intact grain like millet? They both function very similarly in recipes. So a lot of people ask me, how do I know the distinction between a processed carbohydrate or a refined carbohydrate and one that's whole? And I like to introduce this concept of the 10 to 1 rule, which I certainly didn't come up with, but I love sharing. And so the rule works this way, that for every 10 grams of carbohydrate, the same portion should include at least one gram of fiber. So here's what that looks like if we were to look at a food label. Here's a picture, and this is actually an old food label, um, of whole wheat bread. And so for this one slice of whole wheat bread, the, the slice of whole wheat bread contains 10 grams of carbohydrate as well as five grams of fiber. So does it fit that 10 to one ratio? It certainly does. In fact, it's a lower ratio, right? It's a two to one. So this is a good example of a quality carbohydrate because of the high fiber content. Here are some other good examples of whole grains. Some of my favorites that are listed are oats and bulgur. I actually love amaranth as well. And they have the standout nutrient that is fiber. And I have nutrient in quotes because technically fiber does not give us any nutrition at all, but experts are arguing that we should label it a nutrient because it is essential for good health. So here's what fiber does. It dilutes and eliminates toxins. It protects the lining of our colon. It aids in blood sugar and insulin control. 
And so for that reason, experts want us to try to consume 25 to 30 grams per day. Now, Americans are eating maybe half of that amount, so we have some work to do. What I do want to point out about whole grains are that they are more than just the fiber they contain. They are like a whole package, right? So you see listed on there some immune-supporting nutrients like vitamin E and zinc and selenium as well as copper. And they also have other compounds that function like antioxidants as well as in anti-inflammatory ways. Next, let's move on to healthy fats. So which ones should we eat and why? Well, if the fat comes from a plant food, it's a good choice, all right? So think about olives or flaxseed or avocado and then the oil versions of them. And then generally any nut or seed, I only listed a few here on the slide, they're all great choices. And that's because they are, have, the fats that are in them have anti-inflammatory properties. Also those foods tend to be high in antioxidant components as well. So how do we incorporate more healthy fats into the diet? We make some substitutions, right? So in meal preparation, could you incorporate some healthy oils? Maybe instead of um, mayonnaise, could you use mashed avocado? Or if you buy store-bought salad dressing, could you make your own version of a vinaigrette using olive oil or flaxseed oil? Another great example is, again, going back to those highly processed snacks. And could you replace them simply with a handful of nuts or seeds? Talk about a superior nutrient-dense choice. It's sort of a no-brainer. Okay, let's wrap with our plant-based diet on plant proteins. Which ones did the experts recommend and why? Well, the legume family, this is beans and lentils and split peas, they open up a whole world of possibilities. And I have lots of ideas if you ever ask. Um, but also whole soy foods and whole grains give us a good amount of plant proteins. I like to think of plant proteins as protein plus. So what they do is they help meet our goal for protein requirements, but they have this added bonus of fiber and nutrition. So how do we incorporate more plant proteins? On your handout, I shared a link for Meatless Monday, which is a great campaign that encourages a meatless meal at least once a week, but maybe even twice or even more if you're ready to incorporate more meatless meals and look at that website for inspiration. And also think about upgrading your classic comfort foods, like something like chili. You know, could you make a chili be vegetarian um, and still taste delicious? I certainly, I certainly think we can. All right, so now I just wanna take a moment to talk about nutrition impact symptoms. So this is often what I see at Kellogg when I'm in clinic and we see nutrition impact symptoms can interfere with someone's ability to sustain their nutrition, hydration, and even their weight and health and, and weight maintenance and health. So when nutrition impact symptoms are present, it can increase the risk for malnutrition and certainly reduce the quality of life. So if anyone in the audience is experiencing symptoms that are impacting their ability to eat well, please, please discuss this with your medical team. You can consider consulting with an oncology dietitian because our job is to be proactive and we anticipate these nutrition impact symptoms in order to come up with a plan that will preserve or even if necessary, improve nutritional status. Now there's a handful of nutrition impact symptoms that are present for um, patients um, on treatment. And I've included some information on the handout, but for the sake of time tonight, I thought I would only discuss the one that is the most prevalent and that is fatigue. So fatigue, if it's present, it can limit 
someone's ability to go grocery shopping, to prepare meals, or even at, at its worst, even eat because they're so exhausted. So what is the remedy for uh, addressing fatigue? Well, there's a couple of solutions. We temporarily uh, would suggest that people rely on convenient or ready to eat foods or even meal delivery just to conserve energy. And um, I often, when, we, when we're able to, I like to give grocery store tours to really um, reveal all of the treasures that are in the frozen section, something like pre-cooked quinoa, where all you have to do is take it out of the freezer and reheat it. And that is such a convenient time saver that is nutritious. Another suggestion is to make sure the individual is consuming enough protein at meals and snacks. So think of that nourishing plate. If you're not able to finish the whole plate, you wanna at least start at that top corner with that protein source. And then if you're snacking, we re recommend that people partner their quality carbohydrates with protein. So something like whole grain crackers with peanut butter to get that protein and take in. And then research actually suggests that a high fiber diet may reduce symptoms of fatigue, uh, which is interesting. So when we're eating more fiber, we wanna make sure we drink plenty of fluids to help with digestion. And some examples um, are there, a lentil soup for high fiber uh, meal, but I also included on your handout a recipe for vulgar salad. So I just want to quickly take a moment to go over some of the frequently asked questions that I get about diet and cancer. The first is a sensational one. Uh, does sugar feed cancer? And the most straightforward answer that I can give for you tonight is that no, sugar does not cause cancer. It does not induce the progression of cancer. We do understand that too much sugar in an unhealthy diet may lead to weight gain. And obesity itself is what might be related to the carcinogenic process. We do also see that excess sugar in the diet can raise insulin levels and chronically high levels of insulin are known to be pro-inflammatory and that has implications for carcinogenesis as well. But the bottom line is that cancer cells have demonstrated metabolic flexibility as we like to call it. So they know how to adapt and if sugar or carbohydrates are completely removed out of the diet, cancer cells will adapt and they'll figure out an alternative fuel uh, in order to thrive. So I want you to think about um, consuming quality carbohydrates, balancing your meals, using that nourishing plate, because that will help control your blood sugar and insulin levels. We know that for a fact. If you limit um, if you enjoy sugary foods, just try to limit them, but keep in mind that, you know, part of a healthy diet is the pattern of foods that we eat, right? That no single food is going to make or break us. So just try to savor them for special occasions. What about intermittent fasting? And so for this slide only, I'm only referring to time-restricted feeding. So time-restricted feeding means that there is a chunk of time during the day when eating is allowed. And it typically involves a long overnight fast. So eating dinner early and eating breakfast late the next day. That, this is a version of intermittent fasting and there's lots of different types of fasts out there. So I'm only referring to time restrictive for this slide. Preliminary data does suggest that in some cancer types, it may improve the tolerance as well as the response to some chemotherapies. After treatment, it has been shown this intermittent fast to improve blood sugar levels in some populations as well as A1C levels. But 
fasting is not without risk, right? So in the, in the wrong situation, it can result in dehydration and weight loss in addition to these side effects, like feeling weak and tired. So if someone is compromised and not eating well, we would caution against this approach. But the bottom line is that if you are considering it, please discuss it with your medical team. The next question, another super popular one right now, should I try a ketogenic diet? Well, just for your information, a ketogenic diet is very low in carbohydrates while also being very low in protein. So it's not an Atkins diet at all. It's quite low in protein. So it's mostly fat that is being consumed in the ketogenic diet. Ketones themselves are fake sugars that our body makes, and it's made in response to this low carbohydrate, low protein intake, and it doesn't know what fuel to use. So it breaks down our body's fat reserves to make ketones. Now, some cancer cells have been shown in early research to use ketones for fuel. Remember that cancer cells, a hallmark of cancer cells are their ability to adapt to their situation. Also, on a ketogenic diet, you would be omitting plant foods. And what have I spoke about this entire presentation, right? How protective they are against the cancer, cancer carcinogenic process. So I think that would be really quite tragic, right? To omit all of those protective uh, qualities. So the bottom line is that if you're worried about blood sugar levels, address this medically, but consume that nourishing plate with quality carbohydrates. If you are considering it, discuss it with your medical team. I know it's very popular right now and there's a lot of interest and research being poured into this approach. At this point in time, we think that the risk is likely more, is worse than any potential benefit. So please just discuss it with your medical team. Okay, and the last question, how do I boost my immunity or my immune function? So let's just set the record straight about proper immune function. It's, a com it's complicated, it, it's a complex balance of many factors, especially as it relates to nutrition. And it's a matter of adequacy. So I like to refer to that as Goldilocks. So too little of nutrients, as well as too much of nutrients are not conducive to proper immune function and actually may inhibit immunity. So the bottom line is that plant-based diets, as we discussed, they saturate our bodies with what we need, with the required amounts of those nutrients. In addition to, plant, in addition to that, plant-based diets have that fiber, and fiber is fuel for our gut health. And as it turns out, very exciting area of research, most of our immune function resides in our gut. So now I just wanna wrap with some, a couple slides about nutrition tips and for meal planning and as well as grocery shopping. So if you're thinking about going grocery shopping, how do we make it safe yet nourishing at the same time? Well, I would suggest enlisting a nutrition care team. So who of your friends and your family members can you delegate some responsibilities to? Rely on a nourishing grocery list, and I included an example of one in your handout. Consider food delivery and pickup services. These are so convenient at this point in time and they minimize exposure. And then also consider signing up for community supported agriculture. So there are local farms that can deliver a produce box to you or to a uh, pickup location and you can have fresh local produce um, at your fingertips. Now, as it relates to meal preparation, 
How do we conserve energy and make it easier for individuals? Well, again, use that nutrition care team. There are people in your life that are, would be happy to take those responsibilities on. I would encourage you to keep it simple and I gave you some great suggestions in your handout that you can assemble meals in a matter of minutes that will be nourishing. Consider a meal planning worksheet and I gave you a link to one in your handout. And then remember to keep it social. So involve the family, right? Could the kids cook? Could they do some prep work? Remember that food is serving more than just one purpose, right? It's this opportunity to connect. And I think meal preparation is, is our potential way to help establish that connection. So these are resources that you will um, have access to that I very often refer to or um, suggest patients uh, resort to for their uh, trustworthy information. And then this is basically just a summary. I, I want you to think about where you're getting inf information from. Try to go plant-based when you can. Remember that's not vegan, but mostly plant foods most of the time. And doing this can really help you harness the potential nourishment that we find in food, help you maintain your weight, support your immune function, aid in recovery from surgery and, and from treatment, and I think best of all, optimize your quality of life. So thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end my share and hopefully we have plenty of time for some questions. Great, thank you so much, Lori. Dr. Mendoza Temple and Barbara, we, we really appreciate um, all of the insights that you've shared tonight. We've had a lot of questions coming in, so um, let's get started with those. Lori, we're going to stick with you since um, we're, we're in the food section. So um, can we talk about organic foods? What organic foods should you get? GMOs, non-GMO, pesticides? Where, where should we focus there? <clears throat> that's, that's a great question. I, I should have included it in the presentation, right? Now, it depends on the individual. Um, I just read a great study that came out. Um, it actually will be published um, next month that our cancer survivors are not meeting goals for fruit and vegetable intake. So it depends on the individual. If someone is meeting their goal, then we might explore organic sources of uh, produce. If they're not, the benefit of just simply eating more produce, especially even conventional produce, the benefit far outweighs any risk. Now we have a lot of other resources at our fingertips, but at the current um, point in time, the best recommendation is to really make an individual recommendation based on what someone is eating or not eating, and then make gradual improvements from there. Okay, great. As long as we're on the pesticide um, focus, Dr. Mendoza Temple, what about um, chemicals in cannabis? Is there, are, are, is what's sold in the stores um, and the medical, through the medical license clean? Do, do people have to worry about checking it out? Well, there are standards that there, um, the state has set for pesticides and also spores. So if cannabis gets wet and then you dry it and there's mold growing in, the last thing you want is uh, someone uh, smoking a moldy joint and then getting an aspergillus infection in their lungs. So at least there's some controls versus buying cannabis off the street. I can't speak to all of the manufacturing and all of the things they have to do to keep the critters off of the plants in the cultivating centers. But, um, but I also did see a question about CBDA and, you know, the differences between what is that? I don't know if I or, or, or were you going to ask that question later on? No, go ahead. Because that's another chemical. Yeah, so 
um, CBDA, the acid form of CBD and THC will be listed as CBD little a and THC little a. And that just means that this is from the raw cannabis plant before it's heated up, either cooked in something or flamed up in a, in a joint or uh, steamed in a vaporizer. So uh, when you have CBDA and THCA, you may have some anti-inflammatory properties, but the full strength of the um, medicine really comes when it's heated and then it becomes CBD and THC. There are other minor cannabinoids that are probably beyond the scope of this, but they're not super available in dispensaries. I know they're there and they, they bear a lot more research and, and uh, trial and error. Great. Would you recommend cannabis to elderly patients who are uh, suffering from severe arthritis pain? I, I have. Um, my oldest patient is 97. Um, and they, a lot of them come with complaints of either inoperable joint pain or they've had or they're going to have surgery and they're trying to help promote more pain relief, but they're maxed out on Norco or Vicodin and they just can't take anything else. Gabapentin's on board. They've got all the medications on board. They've had multiple shots. I mean, what do you have left? And so what I find is the cannabis, if we, we have to try the, do the trial and error, small amount of THC to begin with, start it at bedtime. And I've had patients say, well, it doesn't always help the pain itself, but it helped me sleep. And I was able to deal with the pain better. I have patients though that say it really made a big difference in the pain. And I recommend at least trying the topical. So you don't have, if you're really worried about the psychoactivity, try one of the creams and see, just rub it on your knee. What do you really have to lose to try that? So yes, even in elderly. Fantastic. And as far as cannabis use during the day for anxiety, we had a question come in saying that they can only use it at night because it makes them fall asleep. So um, what would you recommend for them to use during the day to help with that anxiety piece? Well, from a cannabis point, maybe not use anything that's cannabinoid related. I would, I like, uh, first of all, the mind-body approach. What is it that's driving your anxiety? Uh, use some uh, Barbara's tips on move, do some exercise, go for a walk. What is it that's weighing on the mind that's creating this fight or flight response? Breathing <laughs> exercises, um, meditation. But if you're looking for supplements, like su people always want a pill. <laughs> so my... I actually like CBD from hemp. Uh, I also think that L-theanine, which is from green tea extract is a nice one. It's the relaxing part of green tea, drinking some chamomile, uh, and, but really slowing down the breathing is key. And then of course there's pharmaceuticals for that. Great, Barb, let's switch over to you. Let's talk about finding motivation to start any new activity. You talked a little bit about that. Um, are there, apps that you recommend um, to streaming to get you going? Um, are there devices that, that you recommend? I think the best thing would be to find a partner that would help motivate you. So if you're going out for, or if you wanna take a walk or something, but you can't get yourself motivated to do it. A lot of times, even if you don't have cancer, it's hard to get motivated. And if you're accountable to somebody, then it makes it easier. And remember, you don't have to do a lot in the beginning, just start slow. But I think walking would be great. I know now it's difficult because it's cold out and we can't go to North for court and walk because we can't go there. Um, but depending on the size of your home, for instance, 
Um, if you can walk around your first floor in the kitchen and around. The other thing that I find for myself is I can't do too much without music. So I put on something that I like, I turn it up loud and it makes me move. You know, it just makes me happier to move with it. I see Lori laughing, but you know what? You've got to do what you've got to do. And the other thing is start slow by doing some stretches. Okay. I mean, you can lay on the floor and just like, you know, move your arms and legs, reach, reach up, you know, reach in the in opposite directions and, and you'll start feeling good already. As far as apps, I can't give you anything specifically because I have never used one, but I'm sure if you go and you look and you go to the app store and you put in, you know, movement or, uh, start exercising or whatever you'll you know you can be able to find something that will help you do that will help you do it but just start slow and do it with somebody else great great advice and music i agree with you is is just everything <laughs> uh lori back to you how do, how does how do we um how do we excuse me how can we help someone help their body assimilate to food after the whipple procedure Oh, wow. That's a great question. Yeah. That's a prime example for a, a consult with an oncology dietitian, you know, and that's, that's partly what I do at the wellness center. And certainly at Kellogg, that is like an automatic meet with a dietitian because there needs to be careful fine tuning of how much can be consumed and, you know, and what amounts, because we want to watch sugars and fats. And we want to make sure things are being medically managed well. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, consideration about this transition post-op. And so that's why there needs to be um, monitoring and initial evaluation and then monitoring to make sure the right um, goal, the goals are being accomplished accordingly. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't be more specific. With no, that. no, no, that's great. Yeah. But pointing them in, in the correct direction is, is really helpful. We talked a little bit about, or a lot about keto. Um, what about the other diets that are out there? So gluten-free, dairy-free, Whole30, um, you know, what's, what's your take on, on all of these? Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's, I, I just want to go back to that discovery of the origin of the word diet you know, coming from the Greek word meaning a way of life. And I think that if someone wants to pursue a diet, an elimination diet or a plan to maybe jumpstart things, you know, I, I think I'm looking ultimately for sustainability uh, because I think quality of life is, and food is, is that, food is quality of life, I think. And that's what I'm looking to preserve for the people that I'm working with. But again, it, it probably just matters according to the individual. Okay, great. Now we have a few more questions left. If uh, anybody watching has additional questions, please send them to, um, uh, to us through the chat or through the Q&A. Uh, you can do it privately. Uh, Dr. Mendoza Temple, uh, let's go back to um, signs of cannabis addiction and how to make sure you don't become addicted. So there's dependence and there's addiction. I'm not an addiction specialist, but there are, people can become dependent on any medication and say, you know, if I need it, I, if I don't have it, I go through a withdrawal. And that can happen a lot with benzodiazepines, opioids, 9% of the time to cannabis. But when we talk about addiction, there's also, there's a dysfunctional piece where you, the judgment goes out the window. Like I, 
think about this a lot more obsessively. I will make bad decisions, even though I, it's bad for me, I'm gonna go drive on it because I just need it. The common sense um, and the restraint goes by the wayside with addiction where you're gonna have problems with relationships and making bad choices or uh, stealing or breaking the law to make this happen. So um, in terms of other addictive substances, we think about alcohol, cigarettes, uh, too many benzos, too many opioids. So if you, you look at all addiction is going to be a bad thing. Um, so you try and temper with, you could use the harm reduction argument that, well, if you got addicted to cannabis, wouldn't that just be less worse, less bad? But I, I'd never like any of that happening. That's why integrative medicine therapies to help not become dependent on any one thing. Um, that I think that's important. So we don't want to just be the cannabis is my only way of ever coping. Because uh, then I get, I worry about people who are like, okay, then they're a little more at risk for an addiction to that substance. So how do you prevent it? You, you think about them as uh, short-term temporary things uh, that you use as a, as a crutch while you work on some of the larger issues. But don't be afraid of using it if it helps and you're trying everything you can with lifestyle. And this is the only thing that's helping you, by all means, please do what needs to be done um, to sleep and to feel um, comfort. It's a balance. Great. And on those other areas, meditation and, and deep breath, are there apps that you recommend that uh, folks can use? Um, yeah, sure. And I, I find that apps, it's like we need novelty as humans. So we might like something for a while. I know I get flaky about things, but even the act of looking on your phone for meditation apps is meditative. <laughs> so uh, my favorite ones, um, I'll type them here. Uh, I like Calm and Headspace. I've tried them all and I've gotten sick of them all. You know, where you're like, you, you have it on your phone, you forget about it. 10% um, Happier is a nice one too. And there's a free one called um, Insight Timer. So what you do is you just, just even thinking about, I need to be mindful is already being mindful, but there's this, the act of uh, brushing your teeth slowly and feeling the bristles against your gum. When you're doing a movement from exercise, instead of thinking about the grocery list, you're actually breathing in and out with each movement, paying attention, slowing down. And I think the pandemic has helped us really slow down because nothing else to do. So <laughs> slowing down thinking, there's no book, you don't need a book or an app for that. Same thing when you're eating, to eat mindfully, slowly, chew your food, taste the spices, uh, roll it around on the tongue. If there's no, um, there's no one after your food, you don't have to eat it within 30 seconds because then you, your brain and your gut don't catch up and you've now eaten way too much. So mindfulness is probably the theme I'm trying to get at. And apps can get you there, but they can also be uh, more junk on your phone to look at. Right. And, and music comes into play um, as well, as Barbara was saying. Back to you, Barbara. Um, let's talk more about because, at least here in Chicago, um, our weather went from 70 and humid yesterday to um, winter winds and cold today. So as we're getting more into winter and because of the pandemic and we don't have as many places to go, what other um, ideas would you have um, for, for people to, um, to work out? I mean, would you recommend doing a, a Zoom workout with a friend or uh, running your stairs or what, what else would you recommend? Every, you're correct. All those are fine. Um, the other, I guess it really depends what your energy level is. If you're feeling great, then you want to work a little bit harder. Uh, doing stairs is a great, 
aerobic workout. It's also strength. You'll feel it in your legs. If you can get past the first five minutes, all of a sudden your legs don't bother you so much and you can go up and down uh, much easier. That's great. Um, you can do um, the old fashioned calisthenics, you know, jumping jacks. I mean, if you can do any of that, marching in place, reaching, lunging, all that kind of stuff. Um, there are, if you can't motivate yourself to do it on your own or you're not familiar with what to do, um, YouTube has wonderful instruction. Uh, put in, you know, if, depending if you want a stretch class, you want um, a bar class or a dance, you know, this way when you're home and even when the, the classes that I teach, I always tell everyone, you do as much as you can. You want to listen to your body. Some days you may have more energy. You can do more. They may ask you to do 12 repetitions at eight, you've had it, then you stop. But it'll motivate you and challenge you and also you don't feel like you're all alone. The other thing um, that I have been told by a friend, I have not checked this out, um, and this is for seniors. Uh, if, if you have uh, Facebook, you can go on, she told me it's Go Fitness Silver Sneakers. And there are classes there. Again, you can pick any type of class you want, and it's geared more toward um, seniors. But a good class or a good instructor will have different levels, meaning, you know, either you can run in place or you can march in place, or maybe you can just pick up your heels a little bit. They should tell you so that you know what level you're at and you can participate and not push yourself more than you need to or start higher and then bring yourself down lower. But I think if you need motivation to work with someone and you don't have um, someone to be accountable that will do things with you, then I would definitely say go to YouTube, uh, try maybe the silver sneakers. There are a lot of different um, classes, different instructors that will uh, teach. So that, you know, that would be the, the best thing to do because we can't go outside. However, if you can, I personally feel if you can dress yourself warm enough, and you can go and walk around the block, being out in that fresh air is gonna revive you, it's gonna feel good. Uh, when you come in and you feel, come into the heat, you're just gonna feel alive, much, you know, much more energy. So take a short walk, if you can. Dr. Mendoza-Temple, uh, we'll, we'll round up with you. Uh, can we talk brands of essential oils, of uh, vitamins? Um, is more expensive better? Are there ones that people should avoid or um, should look toward? Well, actually, I'm going to put in the chat here. There's a website called consumerlab.com. Um, that's probably where I devote a lot of my, the, the field of supplements, uh, trying to stay away from any kind of sponsorship and favoritism. But I would say uh, even within one big company, you can get uh, consumer lab to say that was a good one or that didn't have what was on the label. So it really depends on the supplement. So it's a hard question to answer because it's like, you know, there are the pharmaceutical grade brands like Metagenics, Orthomolecular, Douglas Labs. These are things they carry in the wellness shop where they, um, you can't just find it anywhere. And then you've got your national brands like New Chapter or Now, the orange label. Um, and you can find those at Whole Foods, Amazon, um, you know, fungi perfecti for their mushrooms. 
I just use the same brands over and over again when I find that I've gotten good resort results from my patients, or at least I haven't seen crazy notices from the FDA saying this was <laughs> contaminated with uh, Viagra. So what you really should watch for the, in terms of your bad question is the supplements that are for sexual enhancement or weight loss, they tend to be the ones that are adulterated the most because, wow, this weight loss supplement is working really well, but oh, guess what? They had ephedrine in it. And then, you know, the company gets their hand slapped and they reformulate it in some other brand or when a sexual enhancement product actually had Viagra in it and boy, that really, really works well, but they put a drug in it because that's how, why it's so popular. But most of the time you're got to look at what, what can you get this from food? Can you, uh, sunshine's a little bit hard though to get just from food. It's, I mean, vitamin D for instance, and for people who just can't eat a lot of fish, but they need the omega-3s. I will talk about my favorite fish oil supplements in the consultation. So um, consumerlab.com is a nice one to look at different brands uh, for what the particular thing you're looking for. Okay, great, thank you. Any um, final remarks from, from the three of you? I, I think tonight's panel was so informative. I, I'm so grateful to be part of it. And I, I hope that everyone that attended um, really felt the same way. It was definitely fantastic. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Dr. Mendoza Temple. We're so appreciative of you being here tonight and sharing such useful and important information to, to help folks um, out along the way. If you have uh, additional questions, uh, you could definitely send them to um, us at Rolf or <clears throat> the folks at Cancer Wellness Center, and we will pass them along and, and be sure to get those um, questions answered for you. We'll also be following up with an email that has all of the presentations, uh, Lori's handouts, as well as um, Barb's videos, links to, to the videos there. So we'll be able to get everybody that information. And um, if uh, anybody has any ideas for future Wellness Wednesdays, please email us at info at rolffoundation.org. In the meantime, keep your eyes out for the when December Wellness Wednesday announcement, and we hope you'll join us for our Awareness Month activities. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take good care. Have a good Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review because it helps people find us. Ralph Pancreatic Cancer Foundation provides personal support to those affected by pancreatic cancer through tailored resources, connections and education, and funding for early detection research. To learn more about Ralph Foundation, please visit us at ralphfoundation.org or call 773-989-1108. We'll see you next time.